Welcome to the JAG podcast. My name is Anthony, and for those new to JAG, it stands for the Joint Advisory Group on GI Endoscopy. We were founded in 1994 and have been aiming to improve GI endoscopy services ever since. This podcast will aim to help you and your service understand more about JAG and the elements of becoming accredited. Let's meet our guest. Today we'll be joined by JAG nurse lead Sarah Marshall, who will be giving us insights into her role on decontamination and environment. Uh, which is something that is sure to help you and your services. So we've already had a little preview into who you are. You're the JAG nurse lead. Uh, Can you tell our listeners uh, a bit about this role? Okay, so I've been in the the role for about two years now. um, And the JAG uh, lead nurse role basically represents nurses within um, JAG and accreditation. So we have the triumvirate leadership team, which is uh, Debbie, who's the head of assessors. Um, there's Mark, who's the clinical lead, um, and then there's myself as the nurse lead. And obviously, we each represent and follow up issues that will affect our areas um, or in the discipline or uh, within accreditation. Uh, it does. It covers many things. Um, we we have a, a two weekly leadership call together. There are committee meetings, strategy meetings. Um, obviously, our uh, communication involvement with our four nations uh, uh, colleagues as well. There are lots of office inquiries that come through, different questions and queries from people. Um, And there are, of course, our GRS standards, uh, any issues from accreditation visits, and basically responding to things that that come up and coming to do podcasts with you, Anthony. (laughs) Which I am very, very grateful (laughs) for. Um, It's really, really good to have you here. Um, That is a very, very busy role. I know you're a very busy, busy woman. Um, How did you get involved in JAG how how did that come about um so uh, how did I get involved in JAG Uh, so I used to manage our endoscopy services um and I've been through a couple of JAG visits myself which I think often helps as well because you kind of understand it from a service perspective um I've always been really passionate about JAG because there isn't one other thing organization that has actually changed patient safety um, and and workforce within the endoscopy environment. JAG has enabled all of that. Um, so I'm very passionate uh, about JAG because of the changes that it's made and the changes to patient safety um, that it's made within endoscopy over the years. So I've worked pre-JAG um, and with JAG, um, and I certainly prefer the with JAG um, environment. Uh, I, I started as well then to uh, apply to be a nurse assessor. So I'm an active uh, JAG nurse assessor, which I really enjoy going out, uh, seeing other units, networking with people. Uh, I was also the chair for the BSGNA, which is the British Society of Gastroenterology Nurse Association. Um, and within that role, I sat on the JAG committee and the endoscopy committee. So obviously it enabled me to get a better understanding um, of what happens within JAG as well. Um, I knew that the the JAG lead nurse role was was coming up. So I I spoke to obviously our our previous um, nurse leads who have really set the the standards and, 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 you know, how this role has developed over the years, which was Rachel and Helen and Bev. Um, and then obviously I was very lucky to, uh, to be able to apply for it and then was successful for the role. So that's, that's kind of uh, where I've been with uh, my, my JAG um, involvement over the years. It's a, it's a, a long and, and winding road really, isn't it? I think it's, um, 
We like might break into song. <laughs> not just yet. No, I'm not gonna <laughs> not gonna punish anyone with that. Um, but no, that's no, a it's a it's a really good thing that you say about obviously Jag being able to kind of help make those changes. Obviously, Jag doesn't enforce those changes, but certainly gives guidance to to make those changes yep, possible. Totally. Um, an area of expertise, and why we've got you on the show today, uh, that you provide for Jag is on decontamination. Um, before we go into kind of what accredited services need to do and, and, and those little hints and tips that are just sitting on the top of your brain just to be given out to them. Can you tell us what decontamination involves just to begin with and, and why it's so important? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I probably would say is I'm not an expert in, de- in decontamination. I think that's that's quite clear that's in there. there are, I'm surrounded by lots of experts um, and I think that makes a massive difference. Um, it's really, really important to know the processes um obviously and the guidelines that surround it um in order that we can we can help and feed into to services and units um so that was probably the, the first bit what was the actual question again <laughs> sorry i was just thinking of that in my brain <laughs> i don't worry about that it's just um what is decontamination Deca- yes. why it's so important so um our decontamination when we talk about decontamination we talk about um uh, decontaminating our flexible endoscope so uh, from bedside all the way back obviously to to the patient um, and what we're looking at there is obviously the the quality the standards the safety um, uh, you know that, that that's there I think you know what what do we do when it comes to to decontamination I think we're, we're really really lucky in the UK we've got um, training and standardization um, trained competent workforce which enables us to deliver a safe decom environment and that's really led by the experts um, so there's the BSG guidance that we have on decontamination um, and lead author so previous nurse lead obviously Helen Griffiths is is the guru of decontamination I would call her so uh, yeah she's probably my Google or Alexa and um, there are, there are some other committees that I, I, I will sit on and represent um, within JAG. So there is a decontamination committee um, that, we'll, that I'll sit on. Uh, there is also links in with our IHEAM colleagues. So that's our authorised engineers for decontamination. But I think we're really lucky within the UK. We've got the BSG guidance um, and we have a whole wealth of, of experts that help us to be able to put some guidelines together to, to, to deliver a safe decom service. Sounds really good and really info- informational. <laughs> Trying to get me words it's, out there. It's very, it is very interesting. You, you know, yeah. you learn a lot that's in there. I mean, obviously, at a time from when uh, decontamination for us meant we cleaned our own scopes years mm. ago, and I won't tell you the processes that we did because they weren't that good. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, to see the transformation that has occurred over the 20-plus years um, of what we've done in decontamination, um, you know, again, has transformed um, services again to make sure that we've got a, a, a safe and a, an effective service that we can deliver to patients. Mm. I think the one thing that always astounds me in, within within medical um, kind of situations is is the transformation over the years. And I, I think it is really good looking back and going, oh, actually, we used to do it this way. Why did we ever do it that way? Or and we can do it this way now it is i think that's one of the one of the beautiful things about being involved in medicine and being involved in 
in, in healthcare as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad we've got sort of decontamination technicians and people that are, you know, experts in mm. doing uh, that now rather than me running in, sticking it in a bucket and bringing it back out again. I mean, that's just, you know, you think to yourself what we used to do is, is quite cringeworthy, to be honest. So, yeah, things have, have massively changed over the years and, and for the better, definitely. Yeah, and over the years, obviously, you, you have assessed a number of different services and you've seen mm. uh, what they do with their decontamination uh, processes can you tell us what accredited services do well uh, when it comes to this area I think what they do well is that they follow the guidance um, you know I'll reiterate again we, we've got some great tools to be able to help us um, so the first thing that you know we're looking for is obviously that there's an annual IHEAM report and the IHEAM report is obviously completed and undertaken by our uh, AEDs, which are our authorised engineers for decontamination, um, and that then is in also conjunction with our IPS, our Infection Prevention Society audit, and they should go hand in hand together, and that helps services and it helps um, the staff and the workforce uh, to be able to, to to deliver obviously on the recommendations that have been put on there um, and to make changes uh, to better their service. We've also then got as we mentioned before the bsg guidance uh, which is there to be able to follow so and, and the grs so you, you know it tells you exactly what evidence is required and that therefore helps services to be able to to, to know how to deliver their decontamination and and by following that that's how they you know do things well um they they follow what's written out there and it, it is meant to help them it's meant to give guidance um, and hope it does, it breaks it down a little bit more because obviously it can be quite overwhelming uh, because there's so much involved and there's so much areas of expertise, you know, ventilation and engineering and infection control that we're not all experts in and we require people um, with those skills and knowledge to come in and, and help and guide, guide us. So certainly using the GRS, using the IHEAM, using the IPS and using the BSG guidance are probably, I think, the key things and that helps you to obviously make sure you're delivering um, what we need within decontamination. Yeah, and one of the main things I've kind of picked up on from, from starting in jargon and seeing how the assessments are run and how they, how they go is the kind of encouragement that you give to services as well and I don't think it's ever a, a, a way of catching services out or, or, or doing it in that sense and I know a lot of uh, services are probably be out there right now thinking oh I don't mean kind of want to show off what we what we've got at the moment but um jag is obviously there to encourage and I think that's one of the main points that we we yeah. often try to get across yeah no no definitely it's you know it's an area as you say a lot of, of of nurses are not actually working in decontamination some people are but but not everybody um you know there are so many different models out there as well and that's the other thing that we all need to to sort of understand so there's the traditional decontamination within the endoscopy unit there are ones where they go within a, a general CSSD area there are ones that they get transported out to a, a decontamination hub on the you know different mobile facilities so not one size fits all um, and it's just trying to support everybody to make sure that we deliver it safely in every environment um, and I think obviously the tools and the audits and the guidelines that we've got help services to do that because it can be quite overwhelming you say if you're not doing it all the time and then you're presented with needing to, to lead on the decontamination um, standards for your accreditation it can be really overwhelming but we are here to help um, you know as I say that the the office team are absolutely fantastic you know obviously they they take any queries that are coming through and if they can't answer themselves then obviously they'll pass them down to, to 
to either Debbie, Mark or, or myself to, to, to try and help as well. And if we don't know the answer, then obviously we'll go to somebody that, that does know the answer. But, you know, certainly the, the door's open. Please, um, you know, ask us if there are any queries. Um, and, you know, the accreditation visit is there to be helpful and to help services deliver what they want to deliver. They know what they want to deliver. And often, um, you know, they just need a little bit of assistance or a report that, that offers them some key actions or some recommendations in order for them to be able to deliver what they want to do. Yeah, and you do get quite a few questions from myself, I know that. Um, but, you know, you've got to learn, haven't you? You've got to learn. So Yeah, I've, uh, I've certainly learned on, on you know, on the, the, the job of even doing the, you know, the lead nurse role. I mean, I have to say, of course, I came in during sort of, right slap bang couple of months into covid mm. um and so it it's been quite interesting last two years of of doing the role within covid and now coming outside of you know sort of the restrictions um so yeah it's been very very interesting and also challenging at the same time because obviously everything was different um so yeah i think it's we're, we're in a much better obviously position at the moment than we, we are now um, but I've certainly, you know, um, learned on the job and, and, and picked up some extra knowledge and skill along the way, definitely. Obviously, you mentioned the challenges that, uh, that COVID has brought to yourself in, in this role. And obviously, um, it would have brought a lot of challenges to services. It was a well-spoken about topic throughout the pandemic of just how difficult it was to get people in, get people seen, waiting times falling behind and, and, and things of that nature. The environment has become a... Uh, another huge topic at the moment what challenges are, are, are services facing with regards to the environment within their service i think the main things that we we tend to see um are obviously issues with single sex um uh, and particularly obviously within england um but also then privacy and dignity and in, in all of our, our four nations you know we're, we're dealing with um hospitals um services that are quite old buildings and old infrastructure um Obviously, then decontamination is also, it is expensive, you know, the ventilation requirements and, and the equipment that, that's required to go in there. And, you know, investment is is a, is a lot of money um, as well. Um, I think, you know, it's kind of looking at patient flows. And, and over time, we've seen such a massive increase in demand. But I think capacity and infrastructure hasn't changed to keep up with that demand. And so, um, you know, services are doing phenomenally well to actually work within the infrastructures that they've got but certainly they are the main challenges I think if it comes to environment and of course you know Jag aren't saying you have to knock this wall down or do that they're not saying that at all it's you know how can you deliver a service that's best for patients within the environment you've got um, or you know what changes could be made in order to to improve patient flow improve patient dignity um, and privacy so uh, yeah the, the, I think there is a variety of challenges but I think they're probably the the, the, the common ones that that we tend to see um, and of course over COVID time we've learned much more about ventilation and air changes um, and what an AGP is and things like that as well so We've had to, to learn quickly within sort of the space of a few months about ventilation and air changes, which we kind of knew was always an issue, but it hasn't really obviously impacted or it hasn't come to sort of the service and had a massive discussion as it has now, um, you know, because of COVID. So, I mean, I think, you know, there certainly can be some positive changes that come along the way to make the environment better for patients and for the workforce. Hopefully that 
those changes and those those things do come along. Um, obviously, we mentioned that decontamination pathway environments mm-hmm. is a very crucial part of achieving accreditation. Uh, I know you touched on this before and and uh, about reading the guidelines, but if I was to kind of go to you again and say what were Sarah Marshall's kind of top tips of um, you know achieving accreditation or achieving this standards and 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 getting a good decontamination pathway and environments, what would what would you say? That you'd need to focus on. I feel like this is the top ten at ten. I know. I feel like I want to be what's seen Tony Blackburn. Yeah. <laughs> In at one. No. Okay. Um, I think the first one is actually is attend training with Jag. So obviously we've got two parts of uh, two courses. One's your introduction to to Jag to know the processes, but the um, you know following on there is the the deeper understanding of the standards and evidence which is the other training course that we offer and it will break down into decontamination and environment there so it's a two-hour it's an online session um so you can pick it up wherever you are as long as you've got wi-fi signal um so it's really important i think to attend that is the first top tip um obviously is to get your grs standards to look down exactly what it says in terms of evidence that's required um, my other, obviously, top tip is to get your BSG guidance for decontamination. I think that is absolutely essential. I actually take it out on visits with me as well. So if there's something that you think, mm, well, I know that doesn't sound right, but I'm not quite sure, I'll always go back just to look at it as a reference uh, material. So definitely BSG guidance. It's written really easily as well, um, but certainly to go back and to look at that. The other thing is obviously is the templates and the resources that we've got on the JAG website. So the environment guidance is I would, you know, pick up the environment guidance, have a, a quick read of it over a cup of tea, you know, biscuit if you can, um, and, and look at the environment guidance and actually walk, walk, walk your environment. So walk it as the patient sees it. So I start at the front door. What does the patient see? Walk the flow um, and, and you'll be able to pick up things yourself by doing that. So walk the flow, walk the patient environment. Um, and as I say, is is make fr- best friends with your AED and also your infection prevention control team um, to make sure that your IHEM and your IPS are in order. So um, I think they're kind of your key elements. If you start with those, then actually, you know, you're on a, a really good footing that's in there. I really like the idea of, of walking it as a as a patient because yeah. I think sometimes you just it kind of get like tunnel vision and you don't really realise, oh, that, you, that looks a bit a bit like proofreading your work, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, think I think that's why helpful. as well patient feedback is so important because actually we want patient involvement as well and obviously listening to patients, um, what they say. But actually, uh, you know, on, a, on occasion over the years, I've actually said to a patient, do you want to just walk walk the pathway with me there are people that are quite enthusiastic that like to do this as well and just say you know is there anything that you would point out that I can't see because as you say you work in the same environment over and over again um, and you see it very differently to how a patient may see it as well so actually asking the patients for input I think is really really important um you know I don't know when you walk into a waiting room is the television on for good you know is it just got a blank screen is it you know what what information is there for them you know does it look clean and tidy Uh, you know are there actually you know some cups out if they want to have a you know a drink or it's it's the small things um and actually you know first impressions count um as soon as you walk into somebody's house somebody walked into your own you know department first impressions count yeah no I do I I agree and I definitely agree with the the first impressions counting thing and um it's it's one of them where 
it just gives a different angle, doesn't it? I think it, mm-hmm. that, that's a really, really good tip. Moving on to our, my next question and probably my final question. I know you've you've had a, a good good think about this. I know you were telling me before. Obviously, we need to kind of move to a more sustainable healthcare service. There's a lot mm-hmm. lot of uh, information from the NHS at the moment um, about reaching you know certain standards by and certain targets by 2032. I think it is. What steps can services take to make decontamination more environmentally friendly? Um, I know it's a, it's a bit of a difficult question because it's quite hard to picture what a service would look like if it was wasting less than it was at the moment. But I think that's kind of what we need to do. We need to step towards that. Yeah, I, I did. When I saw the question, I was like, you know, it's a really, really good question. And actually, it's, it's also quite a difficult question to answer as well. Um, so yeah I did have to sort of have a think about it when you're talking about decontamination I I suppose that the thing that actually would make it more sustainable is making sure that we don't do unnecessary procedures on people because actually the most wasteful procedure is one that didn't need to be done Mm. so I think that's probably our obviously our, our, our starting point and you know there's there's lots of changes going on with obviously different um types of treatments or diagnostics that people can have and so there's lots of um, studies going on and research going on with uh, regards to that as well um, I think again it, it, it's quite difficult I'm, I'm not actually going to touch on the issue with water because it just obviously makes me want to cry every time somebody mentions water it's it's such a big topic and I think it needs a podcast by itself I think we've just got to be really careful um, and if we are making any changes within our practice that we involve the experts like microbiology and IPC and any changes that we want to make. There are I think certainly some quick wins and I think that's what we should probably be looking at again. Um, You know have we got a a working group within endoscopy Um, and certainly you know that should be our clinical leads, our nurse leads, um, our admin and management colleagues and also decontamination should be uh, included in that working group uh, so a sustainability working group and there are uh, lots of green sustainability leads within organizations as well now so actually having your own working group um, to actually you know have a look and see what changes could be made I think you know start small every little helps um, as they say that's in there the the one thing I, I suppose which is coming to the surface at the moment and obviously we just need to be careful about is is when people talk about single-use scopes um, and you know we, again we need to be careful because this plastic's all going to incineration um, and you know the evidence to, to compare obviously what we have within green endoscopy compared to obviously what our manufacturers is, says is is very uh, very different but I think obviously we need we need to be careful and we need to think about the changes that we make and we need to be actually you know leading the way in terms of actually is this sustainable is this green um, and thinking about that before we make some easy changes there's lots of single-use items um, and, and whilst actually the single-use items are really important in terms of infection prevention control. Um, I think we could also think about, actually, you know, the PPE we wear, you know, it can be sessional, doesn't need to be changed between each, you know, patient necessarily. Um, it's also, we talk about, like, surgical caps before that's in there, and, 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 you know, they don't need to be put in the bin. You can actually get reusable ones. There's some great practices going on in lots of units around the country um, that, that actually, you know, you can join a network meeting, you join a meeting and hear some different ideas. So it, it's, not an, it's not an easy topic, um, 
um, I suppose, a bit of a politician's answer, really. I don't know that's in there. But um, I think we, we just need to be thinking about it. But the changes, some small changes we can make can be really easy. Recycling, um, you know, for a starting point, all the different, um, you know, things come in boxes, things come in plastic. We can start to recycle as very good starting um, and certainly getting your uh, sustainability working group together is, is an easy thing as well. Um, as I say, just be careful on different changes that we do make and just make sure that we're actually following guidelines and still safe. I think to summarise this in there is just just be careful um, on different changes that, that you know you might want to make and just make sure that actually it's still following guidelines and it includes um, our other colleagues such as IPC, microbiology and our AEDs. Um, and, and, and really, as I say, start small, every little helps. Um, and, uh, you know, get yourself a sustainable working group and make sure that decontamination is invited. Thank you. Uh, Sarah, that was um, that was really nice to, to listen to. Um, I hope everybody else listens to yeah, it Yeah, well. I do as well. I think it'll be really useful. <laughs> I think it'd be really fun to, um, to have some more people come on as well. I know we've got a, a few more planned um, with various different topics um, that will help services, unaccredited or accredited, just to learn a little bit more. Um, so thank you to no, you today. Thank you. It'd be really good if, if anybody, obviously, they want to email in any topics or any questions that they want us to cover, yeah. um, then certainly we could do, uh, these are the questions that have come in um, and we could do another little session, definitely. Absolutely. And whilst you mentioned email and getting in touch with us, uh, I'd just like to say to the listener, thank you for listening today. We hope you found it informative. As I've said, we have some more interviews available uh, for you and your service. Uh, they'll be available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can keep up to date with all things JAG uh, by checking out our website, uh, thejag.org.uk, and our Twitter, at JAG underscore endoscopy. And like Sarah says, you can send in some questions, and we might be able to, to help you out with them as well. Um, so see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>